I think reward programs are effective and uh, should be encouraged. Life will become so much simpler if everyone just gets vaccinated. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. In this week's podcast, summer camp safety tips for children, vaccine boosters, and the protocol of wearing or not wearing a mask in public since the new CDC guidelines were introduced. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with Drs. Fred Southwick and Dr. Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, thank you again for joining us. And I'd like to go through a number of things that I know you've been working on over the past week. Why don't we begin with a question that many people have around younger children, uh, 12 and under, who will be leaving school. Summer activities are important. What guidance would you give this younger group that will not be vaccinated? David, I think one of the biggest things that for people to keep in mind with the younger group is that, yes, there can occasionally be kids that have bad outcomes or have the um, the MISC the multi-inflammatory syndrome that occurs, but these are very, very small numbers. It may be slightly larger than the number of kids that have bad outcome from influenza every year. As you know, there are roughly 150 kids a year that die of influenza. Um, and this, uh, this may be a little bit higher rate than maybe not the deaths, but at least severe illness, but not, not an order of magnitude or anything like that. So the key thing is that kids... For for children under 12 years old, 12 and under, this is not a terrifying disease. The reason that we've been so concerned about it is that the kids 12 years and under, they can be the, the nexus of infection because they can spread it to other people. So, but they do, but they do not spread it to other people as fast. So, as everybody twelve and up is getting the opportunity to get vaccinated, it becomes less important that the twelve-year age group uh, that that they do anything different than they normally do because they're not going to get significantly ill, and they're not going to have anyone other than others who are not at high risk of severe illness, other their their playmates not going to have a high risk of these others getting significantly ill by getting infected from them. So um, I, I don't th- I think it's now that we're getting everybody from middle school up immunized. I don't think there's a a huge push to limit activities for the 12 for the 12 and under crowd or any of those kinds of things. And of course, the more people we have immunized, the less that becomes important. And by the end of the summer, you know, hopefully we'll even be getting them immunized. I, I agree with Bill. I, I, I think inside for that group, we would still should use masks. But otherwise, I, I think they can go about normal activities. Certainly outdoor activity should be be fine in the summer. So um, going out to outdoors to, to play different sports and, and, and outdoor camps, I think are reasonable. The one issue will be uh, if it's an overnight camp, uh, the sleeping quarters, because sometimes that's where the virus can be spread and you have to keep people apart. And it should almost go without saying that parents, caregivers need to be you know, hyper vigilant about upper respiratory, you know, the summer colds that happen every year. And just 
I think people are kind of, they'd ignore those almost because, you know, they happen. Well, this year you shouldn't ignore it. If your child has a summer cold, they should be taken out of circulation from everybody else until, until it resolves and, and continue, consider getting them tested to make sure of what you're doing. But, um, don't, don't ignore cold symptoms. Doesn't mean you have to be, do all kinds of machinations, but take them out of general circulation so they're not infecting others. Even if it is just a routine cold, as that starts going around, that starts, you know, that you, then you have more kids that you have to figure out what you're going to do with. And I assume from both of you, if the discussion is any kind of day camp or sleep away camp, parents should know that the staff has been fully inoculated. Yeah. And of course, the issue is going to be in various states. Can you require that? Um, you know, that is the ideal situation, of course, is that the, the camp, that the, the staff is vaccinated. And to the extent that can be done, yes, it, it should be done. Let me uh, go across the pond. Uh, the UK, a fair amount of coverage around uh, the Indian and South African variants. Curious what you're seeing in the data, which uh, Bill, as you and Fred have noted, uh, does not seem to be improving in the UK. And so the question is, why? Is it the vaccine? Is it the population that they're reaching with the vaccine? How are you looking at that? And obviously, that impacts travel to the United States and from the United States as well. Well, David, it's just to put the numbers on it, the, the, the case rate in the United Kingdom has been locked at right around three cases per 100,000 per day for the last several weeks. It's just not budging. Now, that's a fairly uh, manageable level. That would be considered, you know, in, there are places in the United States where we're saying if you get down to below four that are below four or below that you can go ahead and open everything and maximum density and all that. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a good level to be at, but why is it just stuck there? If we were at herd immunity, you would see it continuing to go down. I think part of the, I, th I think, and this is just me, I haven't read this any place, but I think a big part of it is that they're only immunizing um, up until Wednesday of this week, 38 and up. And as of Wednesday, it's 34 and up. So now you've got that 33 and under population, including the kids. That's a population that typically is very interactive, shall we say, with their with their friends and colleagues and going to bars and, and all those kinds of things. And a population that is actively doing things that spread the spread the virus. So they're spreading the virus amongst themselves for the most part. And we can see that as we look at the the age rates. It's in the younger age groups that the that the case rates are so high. But I think that until the United Kingdom is able to start immunizing the younger age groups, I think we're going to be stuck at that three cases per 100,000 level per day um, because we're, you're never going to reach true herd immunity until you've got a much more homogenous um, vaccination rate, especially amongst the groups that high, have high interaction. Uh, I agree with Bill. And uh, working with the having vaccinated a large number of University of Florida students, I know that they value and college is about social interaction. So it's natural that they would interact more and come closer together and therefore spread. And the other big issue, which uh, we know is that those that are in that age groups tend to have a higher percentage that are asymptomatic. 
So they may not know that they're spreading it when they're talking and laughing with their friends and having a beer. So th that would make sense. In fact, I'm really surprised that Great Britain hasn't gone any higher than that. And then uh, the Indian mutant, uh, the uh, B1.617 uh, is the name of the variant. Um, and it has the uh, similar mutation to the South African variant. Uh, it, but instead of it, it's, we call it the 484 mutation is called the EK, EKE mutant because uh, it's actually E for, uh, for a, uh, the E is changed to a K in the South African. In the case of the Indian, uh, the 1.617, it is E to a Q. Now, it appears that uh, both of these mutations do change the conformation of the spike protein enough to weaken uh, the ability of antibodies directed against the spike protein induced by the vaccines to bind. And the neutralizing antibody titers are lower. However, as to date, it appears that you're still protected from serious disease, hospitalization, and death with uh, the vaccines. So uh, I think we're still safe, uh, but these do uh, create a, a somewhat of a greater challenge. And uh, particularly those that have had the infection naturally and just have immunity due to the natural infection, I think that those individuals are at risk for this particular mutant could reinfect them. The other thing about this particular mutant, it seems to be even more infectious than the original uh, 1.115 uh, uh, from uh, great from the United Kingdom. It's about 50% more contagious. So this is really, when it comes to spread, this is a super spreading uh, virus. So this emphasizes the importance of being vaccinated. All great insights. There was also a fair amount of coverage about the potential need for a booster uh, shot and what is meant by the term booster. So I'm, do you guys have any insights yet? I realize it's early and this is just coming up in some of the scientific journals, but any thoughts on that as well? Well, let me just make sure I'll, I'll clarify what when we say booster, what are we talking about? A, the booster, a true booster, just means you're giving the exact same vaccine again, and what it does is re-ups re your immunity. The example of that is a tetanus shot. You have to get a tetanus shot every 10 years or every five years if you have a dirty wound, um, and, but that is ex the exact same shot time after time. It just brings your immunity back up to a, um effective level. The other thing people use the term loosely in saying booster and what they're what they really mean is a slightly modified vaccine that um, addresses changes in the circulating virus that addresses the variants. The example of that would be the flu shot. The flu shot is not a booster. It is generally most years. It is a different vaccine that's addressing a different strain of the um, of the, the flu virus. So those are the two different kinds of, of boosters, so to speak, the true booster and then the slightly modified vaccine. That's really a good point, Bill. And just using the uh, booster that does not change uh, the amino acids that are expressed may be required 
every year. It's possible. One concern had been that the adenovirus vectors, that is the J&J and the AstraZeneca, um, in when they use these uh, viruses sometimes in gene therapy, individuals get uh, immune, uh, they develop uh, reactions or antibodies to the actual adenovirus so that it's no longer effective at transferring genes. And the concern was this might be true of the AstraZeneca. And uh, they've actually given people uh, a third and fourth dose experimentally and found that there is no increased reaction, that actually the, the vaccine is still efficacious, which is good news in that uh, if the, we need a booster, uh, those, those uh, uh, types of vaccines will be, uh, still be effective. Um, the question of whether or not we have to make the modifications, modify the vaccine to address the variants that we're seeing so far, I think the evidence suggests that you could do it if you're going to revaccinate it anyway. I don't see any problem with doing it, but it won't be necessary because there is an, a true vaccine escape variant. There are no full vaccine escape variants as yet. So I'm encouraged by that. So it may just be a standard uh, revaccination uh, similar to a tetanus. Uh, rather than like the influenza vaccine. And, and we're not going to know, as as Fred said, we're not going to know until we're closer to the time whether we're going to need that or not. One of the biggest arguments against the need for a booster is that if you look back at the original SARS virus and the survivors of SARS virus, um, they still had very sufficient uh, antibody and um, a cellular response even 18 years later. So it appears it appears in the case of SARS, and that's not exactly the same as SARS-CoV-2, but in the case of SARS-CoV, um, it appears that you no booster, we didn't have a vaccine, but it doesn't appear that a booster would have been needed. But we're not going to know for sure until we're getting closer to the time. Yeah, I agree with that article was in Cell, and it was really impressive, the responses. And they looked at the response to SARS-2, not to SARS-1. And there was a profound response um, 18 years later. So I, I, I'm encouraged. We, uh, I personally am betting that we won't need a booster uh, because of I think the antibodies and the cell mediated immunity will persist for a prolonged period. Great. Let me uh, get to the final topic for this uh, week, which is uh, the continued confusion following CDC guidance. Companies are trying to struggle what standards um, to impose. I was at a client meeting. It was actually very interesting. Required to wear a mask to come in, even if you were vaccinated. Uh, They did take your temperature. And we get into a meeting, and it was a meeting about 25-plus people. One of these uh, sort of conference rooms where, you know, the table forms a uh, giant square around the perimeter of the room. And uh, there were a number of uh, political figures. And the uh, moderator for the session said, at least for inside this conference room, we're going to observe CDC rules, even though we're not observing them outside this conference room. So for those of you who have been vaccinated, you're free to take off your mask. 
And then, of course, if you walked outside the room, you had to put your mask back on. So what is the advice that you are giving to whether it's businesses, academic institutions, government agencies, et cetera, in terms of how to think this through? And I recognize there is a state-by-state analysis that has to be done, sometimes even more granularly, local cities, towns, et cetera. One of the interesting things I found about this is the CDC, which oftentimes seems to be, as, as in terms of making announcements, they they do create confusion. In this one, they didn't, and because they said very clearly, if you have been vaccinated, then in either indoor or outdoor environments, you do not need to wear a mask or socially distance. And then people said said to them, well, that's confusing. What do you really mean? And they said, in indoor or outdoor environments, if you have been vaccinated, you do not need to wear a mask. They said, how much more clear can we be? Um, that was uncharacteristic of CDC to make such a pronouncement. The, the confusion is coming up with how do you apply that in an environment where people are either have legal concerns about asking whether or not someone is vaccinated or do not have faith in their fellow man that they will comply with that recommendation and they're just going to not wear a mask if they're not vaccinated. And then you have to take that again then on the top of the issue of is somebody choosing not to be vaccinated versus has not had an ability to get vaccinated. And if they are choosing not to be vaccinated, but have the opportunity to get vaccinated, does everybody else in society still have an have an obligation to alter their behavior so as to enhance their protection? That's where we get into lots of um, lots of confusion. Yeah, the 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 reason the CDC came out so strongly is they now have uh, strong evidence not only that you, the vaccinee, is protected from getting the infection uh, and uh, will not be hospitalized, will uh, not be, uh, will not die from the virus. But it also, the evidence is very strong now that you will not spread. If you got exposed to someone, you will not spread the virus to someone else. So you are, you are safe and you're safe around anyone else even if someone is not vaccinated, you are safe. So the problem arises with those that are not vaccinated who decide to not wear masks. And I guess you could say they're pretending they were vaccinated. Now, uh, I ran across an excellent solution to this in the workplace. And it's the following. Um, if you want to give, provide us evidence that you are vaccinated, you do not have to wear a mask. If you can't provide evidence, uh, you don't want to provide evidence, or you're not vaccinated, you have to wear a mask. That way, the divulgence, the, the uh, describing that you have been vaccinated is voluntary, and it comes with a benefit. And the all of businesses, with the exception of hospitals, are what are called uncovered entities. In other words, HIPAA does not apply to them. They are allowed actually to ask about, and people are able to report 
and they were able actually to, uh, if in this circumstance, they were able actually to to uh, label someone as vaccinated or unvaccinated, and HIPAA does not apply. So a lot of these, so it's now more of a right of privacy, which is a lot more complicated and a lot more vague when it comes to an epidemic, when it comes to infectious disease, um, it makes absolute sense that that uh, some that vaccine should be required, uh, and if uh, if someone refuses, then they they should be obligated to wear a mask. Uh, that I think that's straightforward, and uh, fulfills the rights of the individuals and the rights of society all at once. So I think the best for right now. The best approach is to say, if you want to give us evidence of vaccine, of being vaccinated, you will not have to wear a mask in the workplace. Bill, what do you think of that? Fred, that's exactly what I've been saying to people. But then what I get, the pushbacks that I get on that is, so then you're creating this, it's almost like the scarlet letter. You know, anyone who is not, who is, is wearing a mask is broadcasting, look at me, I have not been vaccinated, which I, to me, that's fine. That's your that's your problem. Um, I, I, I don't mean to sound so harsh, but I think that that's a that is in, in most cases. I mean, given that this vaccine is so well tolerated and there are so very few people who have any real, true contraindication to vaccination, most almost everybody who is not vaccinated is choosing not to be vaccinated. And at that point, once people are making that choice, I think that they're that's they don't they cannot demand everybody else wear a mask so their their privacy is protected. At least that's my that's my feeling. And I've I've we've been having this discussion with with a lot of uh, HR people and HR lawyers. Um, that's where a lot of this. It's I don't know if it's so much confusion. It's just uh, concern about what's going to carry the day when it comes into HR law, essentially. Well, let me let me add to this bill because the CDC, I'll agree with you, was clear. And then they added, except where required by federal, state, local, tribal, or territorial laws, rules, and regulations, including local business and workplace guidance. And therein lies the confusion that has set in uh, because, number one, people are not sure that you have been vaccinated. I know you're saying it. But we're not in a system where people are proving it. And I'll I'll give you some intelligence from uh, Apple, which I think is a terrifically run company. But they have a store in Grand Central Station, which is an, a large open atrium that stretches a number of city blocks. Apple will take your temperature. They will not allow you to browse for products unless... You're escorted by someone, so they're limiting foot traffic. They have hand sanitizers everywhere. And if you are not wearing a mask, even if you say you are vaccinated, they will basically open up a sort of chest and say very nicely, may I offer you a mask? Uh, We want everyone to be wearing one. But then you take the opposite extreme and you go to uh, Walmart or can't remember the others who have just said, nope, no mask requirement. It's, your, it's on your own. If you feel that you're at risk, wear a mask or shop someplace else. If people see you wearing a mask, they assume you haven't been vaccinated. 
I, I want to stop sometimes and ask people. I ride my bike to work most days, and it's a long, it's a four mile long bike walk jog trail, and um, there's about twenty percent of the people I pass who are out exercising or wa- walking or jogging or riding a bike are wearing a mask outside while exercising, and and I just I don't understand it. And I, I want to ask people, what, why is it you think you still need to be wearing a mask? And I, I don't do that, of course, but um, it's just a very interesting uh, situation. Yeah, I, I think it has to do with anxiety and that before the vaccine, boy, everybody was frightened and rightfully so, because if you inhale the large inoculum of the virus, you could die. So it's hard to let that go, and it will take time. I think over time you're going to see more and more of those that were vaccinated will feel comfortable without a mask. And uh, certainly um, the frontline workers in, in Apple or anywhere else, it's really, really important that they, they be vaccinated because of the, uh, the danger if they if they finally accept that vaccinees cannot, can, do not have to wear a mask they, because they can't verify, it is possible that people that weren't vaccinated won't wear masks. And that would put them at significant risk if they weren't vaccinated. I have worked with some organizations who are, they want to ensure that people who are not vaccinated are still still wearing masks and maybe even putting in testing programs for these people as part of it being to encourage people to get vaccinated. You're going to have to do something different than everybody else unless you go get vaccinated. Can I help you go get vaccinated? <laughs> and we're, I think we're seeing some of that too. Yeah, I think reward programs are, 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 are effective and uh, should be encouraged. Uh, life will become so much simpler if everyone just gets vaccinated. I did get a kick out of the program that I saw. I was, I'm still wondering if this is actually true. The governor of New Jersey announced two days ago that if you're at the, any of the beach resorts and you get a vaccine, the state of New Jersey will give you a certificate good for a glass of wine or a beer. I've seen that now in at least two different places. <laughs> there and Krispy Kreme donuts, but uh, New York may have topped all that. There's a, a limited lottery uh, for those people who get vaccinated within, I think, a two- or three-week window. Uh, you're automatically entered in a, into a lottery with $5 million first prize. and So one more incentive <laughs> in, case, in case people don't think their lives are sufficient. All right. Well, guys, thank you again for the continued insights as you learn more and we gain more guidance about how younger people can safely spend their summers and parents can feel at ease. Uh, It'll be great to share those insights with our audience as well. Thanks again, guys. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up today for our coronavirus solution and get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic delivered daily. Visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. 
I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. <laughs>